0: The following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. To learn more about who we are, visit irvingbible.org new. Well, good morning, everybody. So good to see you. Our youth are in the room with us. So welcome. We're really glad you're here. If you have a Bible with you this morning, grab it and let's go to Acts chapter 13. We're going to be in Acts chapter 13 today, concluding our series called Credible Looking at the Church at Antioch. And I want to ask you, as we get started, what is the most memorable worship service that you've had a chance to be a part of? Right? Is, is there a, a time that you remember, a, a service that you were a part of, that, that something happened in that service that just really seared it on your memory? My friend and missiologist Michael Frost tells the story of his most memorable worship service. It was at the conclusion of a conference where a bunch of Christian leaders had gathered together, and they were going to have their final session away from where all the rest of the sessions had been. And so they got in their cars, they drove over, and they pulled up in front of an old historic church, a church with a steeple on top and the columns out front, and they walked up the steps and they entered into the front doors of this worship center. And the first thing that they were met with was a foul odor coming from within the church. They moved a little bit deeper in to figure out what on earth is going on. And they discovered that this, this worship center was completely empty of all furniture, all the fixtures, all the pews had been pulled out and moved away. And it was just a big open room, but across the floor was laid a black plastic tarp. And in the very center of the room was a massive mound of garbage. And I'm not talking like paper trash, I'm talking like kitchen refuse, right? Uh, Chicken bones and banana peels and old milk cartons. And that's where the smell was emanating from. It was nasty. And they're standing there around this big pile of garbage with no idea what in the world is going on. And, and then out from the back come two men dressed in like what looked like monk's robes, brown robes. And they began to lead the group without any word of explanation through a, a kind of liturgy, some prayers and, and some songs. And, and everybody is still perplexed. to so what is going on here? Well, as they got a little further into the service, the two men wearing the brown robes untied the belt and pulled their robes off and revealed that they had their swim trunks underneath. Talk about a memorable worship service. What is happening? And then these two men that were leading the service began to wade into the middle of that mound of refuse, up to their knees, up to their hips. They continued to lead the group through this liturgy. And then they reached down into the trash, into the garbage, and they they pulled out uh, wrapped in plastic, a loaf of bread, pulled out a wrapped in plastic bottle of wine and they begin to set up the invitation to communion in the middle of the garbage, reminding the people who were there gathered that, that as they come to celebrate these elements, Christ's body broken, Christ's blood poured out, Christ's resurrection from the dead, um, rising in victory over sin and death and the devil, that, that as we come to commemorate Christ's passion and resurrection, we also remember that this same Jesus said to his disciples, before he ascended to the Father, as the Father sent me, so I send you. The Father sent the Son into the refuse of this world, into all the mess and misery, all the filth and stench of this fallen, broken world. And Jesus came right into the middle of the mess, and then he said to his disciples, as the Father sent me, so I send you right into the middle of the mess. And so the men leading the service invited those participating. If you would come to receive these elements of communion today, we'd invite you, take off your shoes, roll up your pant legs, hitch up your skirt, and wade into the mess Remembering what Christ has done for you and remembering his call upon your life as the Father sent me, so I send you. And friends, those words to those first disciples come down from them to us. That each and every one of us have those words spoken over our lives. If we are followers of Jesus, we have been sent. As the Father sent me, so I send you into the middle of the muck and the mess, the stench of this world. That God has called us to follow the way of Jesus into the middle of the mess. This morning, we are concluding our series called Credible. We're, we're looking at the story of the church at Antioch, recognizing that we find ourselves living in a, in a day and age where the church in North America is living through something of a credibility crisis. The, the church has been taking some hits. And so, how do we learn to live with a credible witness in an increasingly hostile world? And I think we find some real insight into that by looking back at the church at Antioch, the way in which they bore a credible witness. In a hostile world. The first week, we talked about the courage that was required of them to to do what they did, to to be who they were, to, to give birth to this church, the first multi ethnic church where they crossed all kinds of socially and religiously imposed boundaries of their day to be together, forming one new multi ethnic humanity like the world had never seen. The second week, we talked about their compassion. That they were moved with compassion, just like their Savior, to move towards those around them in need. Last week, we talked about the importance of their capacity for discomfort. In order to maintain gospel unity, they had to build up their capacity for discomfort with one another to fight for their unity in Christ. And this week, we want to look at the way in which the, the multi-ethnic church at Antioch also shows us what it means to be a missional church. That the very core and center, the essence of, of who they were, was this idea of their call to participate in the mission of God, to live as sent ones, sent on God's mission. Let's look together at Acts chapter 13. We're just going to look at two verses this morning, verse 1 and verse 2. Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now, in the church of Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. Now we talked last week about this picture at the beginning of the chapter, about this incredible diversity of this small leadership team at the church at Antioch, people from different ethnic backgrounds, from different cultural backgrounds, from different socioeconomic backgrounds that that came together and, and were leading this church and God was moving in their midst. And people we read in chapter 11, people were coming to faith in Christ, incredible things that were happening at the church at Antioch. But then they have this pivotal moment where they recognize the voice of God calling them to send out Paul and Barnabas on their missionary journeys. And so they commission them and and send them out. And the apostle Paul will spend the rest of his life, the next 30 years, planting churches. Some scholars suggest uh, 14 and and as much as over 20 churches that Paul planted through the remainder of his life. That that from this moment in the life of this church goes forward the mission of God in the world. This is the epicenter of Christian mission. New Testament scholar Craig Keener captures it this way. He says, the church at Antioch spearheaded The mission to the rest of the world beyond Judea. Listen to this. Nearly all Christians today, and certainly all Gentile Christians, have spiritual roots in this church in Syria. Apart from this mission, the church could have been stillborn in the first century had the Holy Spirit allowed such a thing to happen. This is the epicenter of Christian mission that spreads out from there and to the ends of the earth. This is a church The very core and essence of who they were, their understanding, of their call to participate in the mission of God, to be a missional church. Now that word mission, missional has kind of been a popular one among Christian leaders over the course of about the last 20 years. It's simply taking the word mission, the noun, and turns it into an adjective, missional. Um, For those of you maybe like me, Gen Xers who took the SAT back in the day and had to do analogies, remember those? Somehow they thought that Our ability to do analogies determine our ability to succeed in college. I don't know the logic behind that. But remember SAT analogies? You can think about it this way. Mission is to missional as fiction is to fictional. Right? To say something is fictional is to say at the core, at the essence of what it is, it is a work of fiction. Well, to call something missional is to say at the core of the essence of what it is, is this idea of mission. What we see in the life of the church at Antioch is the core and essence of who they were was this call to participate in the mission of God. Now, to understand that, why it's important for them and for us to be a missional church, you have to actually begin with recognizing that God is a missional God. The core to who God is, the essence of who God is and what God does, told on the pages of the Bible, is this mission to rescue and renew his good but broken creation, And Jesus, whenever he talked about the Father in the Gospel of John, he refers to him over and over as the one who sent me, the one who sent me, the one who sent me. The Christian God is the sent and sending God. God has a mission, and the whole story of the Bible is really the story of the mission of God. So God is a missional God. The Bible is a missional story. Therefore, the church is to be a missional church. As I've heard it said from a number of different people, it's not so much that the church has a mission, it's that the mission has a church, that we're called to be a people who participate in the mission of God, and that that is the core and the essence of all that we do. Andrew Kirk, in his book, What is Mission?, captures it this way. He said, mission is so much at the heart of the church's life that rather than think of it as one aspect of its existence, it's better to think of it as its defining essence, The church is by nature missionary to the extent that if it ceases to be missionary, it's not just failed in one of its tasks, it has ceased being church. Thus the church's self-understanding, its sense of identity is inherently bound up with its call to share and live out the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of earth, to the ends of time. The church is to be a missional church, the core, the essence of who we are is this idea of mission. Mission is not just something that we do. Mission is woven into everything that we do. Now, I, I anticipate perhaps a, a little bit of a question or, or maybe a challenge to that idea. You go, hang on, hold on a second, Barry. What about worship? Isn't the church supposed to be all about worship? Like, isn't that why we gather together for the worship of God? Or, or maybe you say, what about discipleship, right? Isn't the church really about making disciples of Jesus? Or perhaps community. The Church is, after all, a, a community of people, a family who, who do life together. And certainly all those things are important, but you can think about a church that might be really great at worship. I mean, the worship gatherings are dynamic, a huge crowd gathers together, everybody's passionately worshiping God, lifting their hands, the band is amazing, the preaching is great, and yet, you can have a church that's really great at worship that never moves people to mission. But if you have people that are dedicated to participating in the mission of God, Those people are are thirsty to gather together to worship the God of mission, the God who has a mission to rescue and renew his good but broken creation, and then to be gathered together so as to be sent out into the world, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to do the work that he's given us to do. I conclude our gatherings together nearly every week with words along those lines from an old liturgy that just says, send us out now to do the work you've given us to do. The point of our gathering together is to worship the God of mission and to be formed to live as his missional people in the world. So, worship is to be missional worship. Discipleship. Discipleship, that is, we could think about a church that's great at doing discipleship. They, they love the Bible. They study the Bible. They get together in groups and talk about what the Bible means. They memorize portions of the Bible. They can be really great at discipleship. But that never moves them into mission, And yet, if we're a people that are dedicated to pursuing the mission of God in the world, we desperately need to to study this scripture, to learn this book so that we can live this book, that we we study the book on a need-to-know basis, because we need to know it in order to be faithful to what God's called us to do in the world. Yes, discipleship, but discipleship that is essentially missional discipleship. What about community? Community. We can imagine a church that's really great at community, that, that gathers people together in small groups, and I mean, they love to be together, and they love to share their stories. And they're vulnerable with each other. They're doing life together. And a you know, church can be great at doing community, but never get around to mission. And yet, if we're people that are dedicated to pursuing the mission of God, we recognize we can't do it alone. We desperately need some other people around us, that together we can pursue our mission call to participate in the mission of God, pointing people to the truth that we've encountered in Christ through word and deed, missional worship, missional discipleship, missional community, the mission of God at the heart and the center of everything the church is and is called to do, to point people to the truth that we've encountered in Christ through word and through deed. We sang earlier about the reign of God through Christ, that he is king, that he is Lord that our lives and our words would point people to that truth. Now, what we see when we look at the missional church at Antioch is, I think, three observations that we need to make about the way that they lived that we ought to emulate as a church today. Three things that we need to see in this passage that I think God is calling us to if we want to be a missional church. The first is this. The missional church at Antioch was a praying church. Look back at verse 2. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting the Holy Spirit said to them, and then skip to verse three. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Right, here's a church that is dedicated to prayer. This word that's translated here is they were worshiping God, it's an interesting word that's tricky to know how best to, to translate it, it's the word liturgio, And this word is the word from which we get our word liturgy. Um, it's the work or the service. Some translations have it as the service to God as they were serving God. And uh, one dictionary defines this word this way. It's of Christians serving Christ, whether by prayer or by, instruction, by instructing others concerning the way of salvation or some other way. And so the picture that we get is whether it's a church that's gathered together for a worship gathering or, or a prayer meeting, it's people who are crying out to God and asking him to move and asking him to have his way with that community, to, to use them for his purposes in the world. And along with that, not only do we see their their prayer, but we see their fasting. Two times in these three verses, we get a reference to their fasting to God. And fasting isn't a means by which we manipulate God to do what we want Him to do, right? If we just don't eat, that God's sort of obligated somehow to do what we want Him to do. Fasting is a means by which we pray with our whole bodies. It's a means by which our bodies cry out and say, God, we need you. God, would you move in our midst? And this is what we see in the church at Antioch. They were a people dedicated to prayer. The old Scottish preacher Thomas Chalmers captures this beautifully when he says, prayer does not enable us to do a greater work of God. Prayer is the greater work. Every move of God throughout history can be traced back to people on their knees. The history of world missions is a history of prayer. To be a missional church isn't first and foremost to go out and do a lot of good in the world. It begins with prayer. God, move in our hearts and our lives. God, shape our hearts to make them like yours. God, help us to see our neighbors in need. God, use us for your glory. God, open doors for our message. God, help us to be obedient to your call. Make your goodness known. Move in people's hearts to make them open to the gospel. God, bring hope, bring healing, bring salvation, bring restoration, bring comfort. God, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, would you move? And may we be people who dedicate ourselves to saying, God, would you move in us and would you move through us in the world? Enable us, empower us to point people to the truth that we've encountered in Jesus. The missional church at Antioch was... The church that prayed, and friends, imagine what God could do through us if we dedicated ourselves to prayer in that way. The second thing I think we see in this passage is that the missional church at Antioch was a listening church. First, the church in Antioch was a praying church. Second, the church was a listening church. All right, verse two again. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul... For the work to which I've called them. They heard the voice of the Spirit calling them to send Barnabas and Paul out on their missionary journey. And the world has changed. Now, I gotta tell you, if you and I were part of this core group, this core leadership group at Antioch, And you came to me in the midst of this worship gathering, and you said, Barry, I think that the Holy Spirit is saying we need to send Barnabas and Paul away to go preach the gospel and plant churches. I think I would say to you pretty quickly, I think you misunderstood, right? I think you misheard because things were going pretty well at this point, right? Here they are, that God is moving in their midst. God is is impacting people's lives. People are coming to faith in Jesus, and Barnabas and Paul are two of the most effective preachers that they have on their preaching team. And I think if you came to me and said, we're supposed to send them off, I'd go, you're crazy, right? Things are working here. Why would we do that? Why would we send away the best of what we have? And you see, that that may not be all that spiritual response, but that's probably what my response would be. You may be more spiritual than me. Maybe we need to hand you the microphone. (laughs) But the the thing is, in some sense, you can't fault me, right? I mean, that response is, is logical. That response is practical. That response is pragmatic. The only problem with my logic and my practicality and my pragmatism is it misses the voice of God. What God called them to do wasn't logical. It wasn't practical. It wasn't pragmatic. But they heard his voice and they obeyed. And the world was changed. The church of Antioch was a listening church. Some of you that were around a couple of months ago when I came back from sabbatical, uh, heard me tell the story just about some of the things that God was doing in me and teaching me during that time away. And, uh, and I shared with you that that first week after I left for sabbatical, I found myself really struggling, that I was just um, not sleeping well, and I was feeling this simmering sense of, of anxiety. And I was asking myself, what is going on here? Like, why is it? I, I got three months off of work. Why is it that I'm feeling so anxious? And I came across that little line from Dallas Willard that said, what you continue to worry about is the clearest indication of what you have yet to surrender to God. And I just had that realization that what I had yet to surrender to God was IBC, that I had been leading from this place of, of, of white-knuckling it, of, of feeling this sense gripping on to the illusion of control and, and how do I fix it and, and how do I solve it and what we do about that. And now I found myself having to just completely let go and step away and the struggle for me to, to practice surrender. And then on this side of sabbatical, I'm trying to live and lead differently from a place of, God, what is mine to steward? And I'm gonna steward it with all I've got. want to steward well what's mine to steward. What's mine to steward and what's mine to surrender? And i was sharing this story with one of my most trusted friends, my friend Ephraim Figueroa. And we were doing a Zoom call a few weeks back and I was just processing some of this, what God is teaching me through this season. and, And he put a question to me that was really important. He said, Barry, how open are you to the Spirit's guidance? How open are you the Spirit's guidance. I wrote that down on a piece of paper that was sitting next to my computer and I've left it there all these weeks later. It it stares at me every day. How open are you to the Spirit's guidance? Because my tendency is to want to go towards what's practical and, and how do we strategize and how do we fix this rather than saying, Holy Spirit, lead us, guide us, move in our midst. Let me ask you, friends, how open are you to the Spirit's guidance? How open are you to the Spirit's guidance? How committed are you to your own logic, to your own practicality, to your own pragmatism, to your own strategies, to your own wisdom, to your own solutions versus open to the Spirit's guidance? The missional church of Antioch is a listening church led by the Spirit. And then finally, we've seen first that The the missional church at Antioch was a praying church. The missional church at Antioch was a listening church. And then finally, the missional church at Antioch is a sending church. And our word mission just comes from a Latin root that, that means to send. And so by definition, a missional church is a sending church. And through the years, IBC has sent all kinds of people from this room out into the world to make an incredible difference. There have been people who've been called by God sitting in this room, maybe in the seat that you're sitting in, to cross borders, to learn languages, to learn new cultures, to bring the good news of the gospel to the world. And I'm praying and hoping that God will continue to call people sitting here in this room to do just that, to to dedicate their lives to following the call of God to faraway places, to people in need, to move towards the broken places and the hurting people around the world. But the vast majority of us in this room will not be called to do that. And yet we are called. That when Jesus said to his disciples and through them to us, as the Father sent me, so I send you, that means every one of us is sent. The question for you, friends, is not have I been sent? The question for you is to whom have I been sent? To whom have I been sent? And if you don't know the answer to that, if you're wrestling with the question, let me just suggest you go back to step one, right? To pray, to say, God, to whom have I been sent? And then listen, step two. Listen to the Spirit's guidance in your life to say, these are the people to whom I have sent you. And when we talk about being sent at IBC, we we talk about it in terms of kind of three spaces, neighborhood, network, and need. Maybe you've been sent to your neighbors, literally the people who live near you. That maybe for you, it's the opportunity to invite people into your home, to invite them to to sit at your dinner table, to to share a meal with you. Maybe for you, the most missional space in all of your life is your dinner table. And maybe for you, before you invite them to church, you should invite them to dinner, to get to know them, to move into their lives, to be able to share your story and to look for that opportunity to be able to point them to the truth, to the hope, to to the life that you have found in Jesus. Maybe it's Literally, your neighbors. Maybe for you, it's a network. It is some kind of relational network of which you are a part that you show up to with regularity. Maybe your workplace, maybe your school. Maybe it's the PTA at your kid's school. Maybe it's where your kids are involved in sports activities. I don't know what that is for you. But is there some kind of relational network that you show up to with some regularity that you would say, this is the people to whom God has sent me? And to move into that space, not to add another thing to your already overburdened and busy lives, but to say, I'm going to show up in this place with these people with a kind of missional intentionality to be listening, to be watching, and to look for opportunities that I can point people to the truth that I've encountered in Christ. Maybe for you it's a need. Maybe there's some need in the world that has uniquely burdened your heart. That God has just given you some sense of there's something wrong and I can do something about it. Some of you, a few weeks ago, you heard about our call to serve the growing need of of homeless people that are living here in the city of Irving. And maybe for you, that's the need that you say, I can't know about that and not do something about that. My friend uh, Damon Arthur sat right in the seats where you're sitting and God put a burden on his heart to start an organization called TAG that's become one of IBC's ministries partners, targeted aquaponic growth, that, that Damon said, there are kids that live in orphanages in the developing world that need sustainable solutions to be able to provide food. And with my background in agriculture and the things that, I, that I've given my life to, I can do something about that. I can't know about that problem and not do something about it. And from that, Damon has given years of his life and and countless of his resources to devote himself to addressing that need. And God is opening some doors that are gonna make a difference not just in the lives of kids in orphanages, but I think in the whole country of Uganda, born right here in this room, of a heart that said, God, you've given me a burden for a need that I can help address. What is that need for you? A, A neighborhood, a network, or a need? Because friends, the issue for you isn't, have I been sent? The issue for you is, to whom have I been sent? May we be a people at Irving Bible Church dedicated to our participation in the mission of God because, you see, friends, God is calling us, the people of Irving Bible Church, to become a multi-ethnic movement of missional disciples formed in the way of Jesus for the sake of the world. And the only way we are faithful to that calling is for us to be a praying church and a listening church and a sending church. Because Jesus said to those first disciples, and he says to you and me today, as the Father sent me, so I send you. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you this morning that as we think about Jesus, We think about how Jesus makes your heart for the world known to us. When we wanna know what God is like, we look at Jesus. We wanna know what Jesus is like. He looks like a missionary who left his home to come here to bring hope, healing, forgiveness, salvation, restoration, life. For this we thank you. And for those of us who have trusted in Christ, we have freely received his grace lavished upon us. We pray that in response out of gratitude that we might live to participate in his mission of the world, pointing people to the truth that we've encountered in Christ. And God, if there be any here who have never come to that place where they have trusted in Christ, where they have embraced what you've come to provide for them through Jesus, that today might be the day that they would say, I believe, I trust in what Jesus has done for me. I want new life. I want new hope. I want forgiveness. I want the promise of eternal life. I receive it by grace through faith. God, would you stir in hearts today that we might respond in faith as it's fitting for each one of us. And so we thank you. We pray that you would move in our midst in these moments of response. We pray it in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Irving Bible Church. To learn more about who we are, visit irvingbible.org new.